Good morning. Our God is good, is he not? Yeah. Man, we could sing that song days and days, the goodness of our God. Well, we are going to be continuing our walk through the book of 2 Thessalonians this morning. So if you have a Bible or a phone or whatever, you can go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, um, starting in verse 6. We're going to go there. But before we get into that, let's just take a moment to pray. God, we attest and we declare and we affirm that you are good and you have been good. And we know that you will continue to be good because that is who you are. You don't change. So we thank you and we praise you for that. We thank you and praise you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides and directs us, God. And I pray that we would walk in step with your spirit, leading us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Amen. Well, right off the top, I'm going to give you my main point. This is it. I mean, you could walk out after this. Don't do that. Work hard for the Lord in all things for his glory. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, work in itself, work is not bad. Work work is not sin. Actually, we were created to work. That's that's what happens in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2. 15 and 16, this is what it said. And the Lord God took the man, this is Adam, and he put him in the garden to tend it, to guard it, and to keep it. He gave Adam a job. This was, this was before the fall. This is before the curse. And it says in Genesis 1.28, talking to um, Adam and Eve, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's a big job. Fulfilling what God has commanded here for Adam and Eve to to attend and look after this garden and to subdue the earth and rule over every living thing on this earth. That is a big job. That will require work. And God said, it is good. It is good. And then something happened. Sin came into this world and kind of messed it up a little bit. And now there is a curse that affects our work. This is what happened. Genesis 3, 17 and 19. This is what God says. Cursed is the ground thanks to you and sin. In painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. But you will eat the grain of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. Now, not everyone is a farmer, but everyone has to work in one way or another to provide to to make it in this world, make it on this earth. And, And Paul, as we'll see later on in the text, he says he had to work with toil and drudgery. Because is there not some toil and drudgery in our work sometimes? There's a futility of it. You know, it's like, oh, why is this not going the way I want? Or it's just, it's so repetitive, you know? It's the, the mindless, monotonous day in and day out. 
the same repetitive task over and over. Oh, there's nothing new under the sun. What's the point? Why am I here? What am I even doing with my life? I'm sure some of us can maybe relate to that. So there's a futility in our work, the effects of the curse, but there is also great joy and satisfaction and enjoyment that can be found in work. If you think about it, think about the, the most satisfying leisure activity that you could possibly do. I don't know what it is for you, you know, going for a hike, reading a book, playing a game, shooting some hoops, you know, maybe going for a round of disc golf. Yeah, do that. They all, they all involve some sort of work or another, right? I think when we think about taking, taking a break, we're like, well, I've got to take a rest, got to take a break, we automatically go to like the, the, the do nothing. Well, that means I just got to do nothing. But I don't think the goal of our rest is to do nothing. I would submit to you the goal of our rest is to do something different. Because there's, there's this kind of in and out day kind of thing that just goes over and over and over again, but then when you can actually change that and do something different, that can be fulfilling. I mean... Um, it's, it's a rest from the toil and the drudgery, right? Something different. Now, God rested as an example of us that we should rest, but it doesn't mean he did nothing. See, God rested on the seventh day, but he kept working. Because if you think about it, God creates the whole world and everything, and, you know, there's, there's a lot to it, in, in the six days. And on the seventh day, it says he rested. But what, what's now in place? This whole cosmos and microcosms of all kinds of stuff happening in weather cycles and animals and humans and cells and all this kind of stuff. God is managing all that. He is watching over. He is still working. He's got a big job that he's doing. So he rests from the work of creating and does something different. Now, we are made in the image of God. And our God is a worker God. Amen? that God is working. He, does, he didn't just start it all and step back. No, he is doing things. We see that God the Father is working. Jesus is working right now. When he left the earth to go into heaven, he's like, I'm going and I'm, I got a job to do. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I want to make this sweet, awesome city, like golden. I mean, it's awesome. You should read, read about it. And it's going to be coming down. So that's what Jesus is doing right now. He's actually working. The Holy Spirit is working, convicting, comforting, Encouraging, leading, guiding, empowering. Man, <laughs> the Holy Spirit has a lot going on. And if we are made in the image of our worker God, then I think we should be working as well. And that's what Paul wants to address here. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6, but we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from any brother who lives an undisciplined life, or your translations might say idle or um, lazy, not, not disciplined, um, not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you know yourselves how you must imitate us, because we did not behave without discipline among you, and we did not eat anyone's food without paying. Instead, in toil and drudgery, we worked night and day in order not to burden any of you. And it was not because we do not have the right, but to give ourselves as an example for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, 
neither should he eat. For we hear that some among you are living an undisciplined or um, lazy life and not doing their own work, but meddling in the work of others, being busybodies. Now such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and to provide their own food to eat. But you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing what is right. But if anyone does not obey our message through this letter, take note of them and do not associate closely with them so that they may be ashamed. Yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now Paul talks to two different groups of people in this passage. The first group of people he's talking to, he's talking to the disciplined people, the people who are, who are working. He's got some commands to them, but he's also talking to these people who are undisciplined. Now, we can use other words to describe that. You might like somebody's lazy, uh, a freeloader, or, or a busy body. I don't know if those kind of conjure ideas in your mind of, of what kind of a person Paul is addressing here. So I want to look at these two groups of things and talk about what Paul says to them specifically, each of them. So first we're going to look at to the undisciplined or to the idle, the lazy kind of people. I find this very interesting. He says, we command and urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a suggestion. This is not a recommendation. This is a command that Paul takes in the full authority of Jesus Christ. We command and urge you. I don't know if there's any stronger language he could use to, to convey what he's trying to say to these people. Work quietly. Man, this is just, this is keep your head down. Do your job. Don't get all flustered about everybody else's things. Just do what you are supposed to do. Stop meddling in the lives of other people or in other people's work. I think we probably all can maybe think of somebody who's kind of like this busybody person that sometimes meddles in the work that you're trying to get done. They come in and, and bother you when you're trying to get something done or, or something like that. So maybe you can think of somebody. If you can't think of somebody, maybe it's you. Um, or maybe it's not. Just saying. Well, let the Spirit convict what He does. But this is something that I find really interesting. Now, Paul tells them that when he visited this church in Thessalonica, he, he visited them, like he was there in person, and he did two things in regarding to this whole idea while he was with them. The first thing he did is he, he taught them. He's like, you should, you should work. He's like, this is, this is what you should do. You should provide your own food, don't meddle in other people's business, just you know, kind of do this, work quietly, uh, that kind of thing. And then he set the example for them. He did it himself to show them this is what you should do. And so then he leaves. You know, he's, he's, he's visited there, he's, he's taught in this church, he's done all this stuff, and he leaves and he goes away, and he gets this report. It's like, hey, Paul, there's some people who are not working, they're just taking advantage of other people. And he's like, oh, man, I taught them this. I, I set them this example. So what does he do? Well, in 1 Thessalonians, he writes this. Make it your ambition and endeavor to live quietly and peacefully, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we've charged you. So like you could say he, he, he taught them when he was there and he set the example and now he's teaching them again in 1 Thessalonians. But he teaches them in 1 Thessalonians and what happens? He gets another report that people are still not working. They're taking advantage of other people. They're just kind of 
being busybodies all over the place. So he writes again in 2 Thessalonians, and this time he kind of ups it a little bit with, with the people because this is something that's very important to understand is these people who are not listening to Paul, they have been taught not once, they've been taught multiple times, they've been seen uh, an example to follow, and they've still disregarded it. That's a rebellious heart. And Paul's like, that's dangerous. If they've been taught multiple times, they've seen the example, they know what they're doing, and they're not going to do it, he's like, you got to watch out. And so that's why he says this to the people who are disciplined, to the people who are working. He says, keep away from those brothers and sisters who have been taught this, yet disregard it. Because there's a really important principle that we need to understand. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he says, bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. Whatever you are marinating yourself in is what you will become like. That's just the reality of how things work. The the things that we surround ourselves with What what we watch on TV all the time, the kind of music that we listen to, what we kind of bombard ourselves with is what we become like. We start to think the same way. Whatever you marinate yourself in, you will become like. And so Paul's saying, be careful. Don't marinate yourself in this kind of thinking and living. And I think we need to be very careful when when we look at our lives as what we're surrounding ourselves with. So if you look at the people who form like your closest, your closest like group of, of people, if you look at them and you've got to ask yourself a question, am I okay becoming like them, becoming like this? Is that what I want? Now, maybe it is, and that's awesome. And then you surround yourself with those people, and that is great. And maybe it's like, ah, I don't know. I'm not saying kick your friends to the curb. I'm just saying let's be aware, right? So then he goes on to say, he talks about what, what they should do, like, Keep away from these people. He said, don't closely associate with them. Don't, don't be best friends with them because that's, that's the close bubble of people that's your influence, right? Don't invite them over for dinner. I mean, I think that has multiple benefits. I mean, don't invite them over to dinner, one, because they're freeloading off of you and they're just trying to take advantage of your stuff. But two, if they actually like your company and want you to come over to their house for dinner, they can't because they don't have a job and they can't provide for it. So then he talks about, then they'll be ashamed, right? And that'll hopefully move them into action to doing what they're supposed to be doing. Paul, he says this, he's like, imitate us. This is what we did when we were with you. He didn't eat without paying for the food, and he worked hard night and day, man. He was working the day shift and the night shift. I mean, like, I've never had to work a night shift. I mean, okay, I've done all-nighters with the youth group. I mean, that's the closest enough I have to understand a night shift. I mean, that, that wrecks me. Like, I'm, like, done for a week after doing an all-nighter, um, which is crazy. Don't do it. It's ridiculous. Pointless. I don't know why we do that. Um, but he, he was doing this. Paul was giving himself to this, and he was setting the example so much so that people could get this idea. Then he says another statement in here that I find is, like, amazing. It's a little bit harsh, but if someone is not willing to work, neither should he eat. Man. Now, I think the key word that we need to understand in this passage, in this, this thing, is like, is willing. If someone is not willing to work, what Paul is trying to get at here is the heart attitude 
They're not willing to work. Because there's a heart issue there. You know, he doesn't say if somebody can't, right? Because I think that's the reality. Like, there are some of us who just can't work for, for various reasons. It's just not an option, whether it be physical or, or whatever else is going on. And that's where, as a body of believers, as brothers and sisters, we come along and we support and we encourage and we take care of them. But if you can work and you're just choosing not to, Paul's got some pretty serious, pretty serious commands for us in that regard. But really what it is and what he's addressing is a hard attitude. And I would say of laziness. And laziness is sin. So he says, take note of such person. He goes on to say, take note of such person. And I'm sure you probably have already taken note if there's such a person in your life. Um, don't have them your best friend, but he also says, and I love this, he's like, but don't treat them as an enemy because they're still a brother and sister. He's like, treat them as you would a brother. So what does that mean? We come alongside them and encourage them and challenge them in truth and grace and love, spurring them on to do what God has commanded us to do. We pray for them that God would work in their heart. And then he's got this phrase in here that I just love. I'm just, I'm so glad he put it in here. Do not grow weary in doing what is right. Man, I just want to, Take a moment and pause there. Don't grow weary in doing what is right. Are you tired of, of slugging along and trying to do what's right? I mean, I think we can all relate with that dealing with COVID stuff. It's like, we're just tired. It's, 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 it's not easy. But Paul's encouragement here is don't grow weary. Keep going. Keep on can we encourage one another to do that, to keep on, to press on? I love what Paul says in, in Philippians 4.11. He talks about this. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then the famous verse, I can do all things through him who gives me strength to go through those situations. Christ is our strength to push through, to endure, to do what is right. So look to Christ for your strength. Without Christ, we don't have any strength, realistically. So let's encourage one another to keep on. I don't know if you've ever been in in like a race, like a big long race, you know, I'm talking like 5, 10, 20, I don't know, the death race or, I don't know, there's another one not far away from here. But if you're going and you've been going and you're tired and you're kind of getting worn out and then all of a sudden you come along and there's someone standing on the sidelines and they're cheering for you, man, that totally gives you a burst of like, we can do this. Let's do this together. Let's encourage one another to keep on doing what is right and good. I mean, and I know it can be difficult in such a dark world to live with honesty and integrity. Like, I've worked in places where, you know, we just cut corners and everybody was okay with it. But as a believer, we're called to more than that. We're called to honesty and integrity in every area and aspect of our life. 
Because it's not for our glory, it's for God's glory. So don't give up. You can do it. Christ is your strength. Keep on keeping on. Work hard for the Lord in all things for his glory. It says in Colossians 3.23, whatever your task may be, work at it heartily from the soul as something done for the Lord and not for men. Let me read that again. Whatever your task may be, whatever task, that levels the playing field completely. Whatever your task may be, work at it heartily from your soul as something done for the Lord and not for men. So that, that's whatever. I mean, that could be changing a diaper. That could be teaching students. That could be driving a bus. That could be pushing a broom. That could literally be your job of pushing a button. That's your job. But whatever you do, work at it heartily from your soul as for the Lord and not for men because he is your boss. He's the Lord over all. So I want to look at Five, yeah, five. Five reasons why we work hard for the Lord in all things for his glory. Some of these we've looked at already, um, but you can write these down if you want. Number one, we work hard for the Lord in all things for his glory to set an example for others. This is what Paul did. He said, we work hard night and day to set an example for you. He's like, we didn't have to. There's like, you know, there's no legal obligation for me to say, you know, you can't, you know, supply my needs. He's like, but I did this as an example for you to follow. And later on in Timothy, the letter he writes to a young pastor, he's like, Timothy, set an example for the believers, the brothers and sisters, of how you live your life in all these different areas, he tells him. So we work hard for the Lord in all things for his glory to set an example for others. Number two, we work hard for the Lord in all things for his glory so as not to be a burden on other people. Because this is what was happening. These people freeloading are just becoming a burden on somebody else when they are very capable of doing their own work and providing for themselves. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Number three, we work hard for the Lord in all things for his glory so that you have something to share with those who are in need. I love this. In Ephesians 4, 28, talking to the, talking to the person who steals. The one who steals must steal no longer. Rather, he must labor doing good with his own hands so that he may have something to share with the one who has need. We work hard for the Lord in all things for his glory to be able to share with those who are in need. Number four, we work hard for the Lord in all things for his glory to glorify his name, to make his name look good. In Matthew 5, 16, he's like, in this way, let your light shine before others. This is the working in honesty and integrity, continuing on to do what is right in a dark world. This is letting your light shine. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When the workers do good works, it makes the boss look good. You know, if we've got a company that's got really good employees, the company looks good. When we follow God's ways and live according to his plan, it makes him look good. 
Let us make our boss look great as he is. Number five, we work hard for the Lord in all things for his glory because it says in Matthew 24, 46, blessed is the man who's found working when his master returns. Blessed or happy is the man who is found working when his master returns. Because Jesus is coming back. And we don't know when, but he's coming back. And happy and blessed are those who are found working when he does return. This is like when you're working at a job. I mean, I've, I've been there. We've been working in a shop, you know, kind of kicking around, not doing a whole lot. And all of a sudden, it's like, the boss is coming. And everybody, like, snaps to and finds something to do instantly, right? It's like, because there's that, oh, I want to look, look good. You know, it'll be better for me if I'm actually found working when the boss returns. You know, but this is like an ex- a surprise inspection. You know, it's like, well, the boss will show up sometime next week. We don't know when, so just be ready the whole time. That's kind of what we got going on. It's like, Jesus is showing up, not sure when. Jesus doesn't even know when. The Bible says that Jesus doesn't even know the exact day and time. Only God the Father knows the exact day and time. So this is like a surprise, surprise inspection. But blessed, happy are those who are found working when the master returns. Let us be found working. Let us be found continuing on the right path, doing the right thing for his glory and his namesake. So we work hard for the Lord in all things for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. God, just the fact that you use broken, sinful people like me to do your work is amazing. And it's only because of Jesus taking my place that that's possible. You are exceedingly good and exceedingly wise beyond my understanding, God. We praise and thank you for who you are. God, and I pray that we would work hard for you in all things. Not for our glory, God, but for your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. If you want to come and pray with somebody, we always have people that come up to the front to pray with you. Um, I would encourage you, if God's pulling at your heart, don't delay. Today's the day. You know, he's calling. He's, he's asking you. He's, he's got stuff for you. He's a good, good father and a good God. But I want to end by reading the last part of Second um, Thessalonians. So if you'd stand. I thought Paul, Paul ends his letter, and I want to just pray this and end this over you today. 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. And the Lord be with you. Amen. Go in God's peace.